This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for May 10th, 2019. In this week's episode, Firefox forgets something important, a suggestion for airdrop privacy, and Facebook approves scam ads. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. I don't use Firefox, Josh. I don't think you do either, right? Well, <laughs> I, I use sort of a fork of Firefox, which means a browser that's based on Firefox, but from some third-party developer. You always use things that are different than everyone else, don't you? Especially when it comes to web browsers, I, I, I do. I use weird web browsers. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't use Firefox proper. Uh, the day our last episode was released last Friday, there was a problem with Firefox, and all of its add-ons had to be disabled because a certificate expired. Add-ons are what are called extensions in uh, Safari. I think Chrome calls them extensions as well, don't they? Uh, they're little things that you install in your browser, and I have one for 1Password. I have one for Evernote to take a clipping of a web page to send it to Evernote. And you can do all sorts of things with add-ons, but add-ons have to be signed in a certain way, and this requires a certificate. And we've talked in the past about certificates, and if a certificate expires, the browser or the app or the email client is going to check to see if the certificate is valid, and if it's not, everything fails. And this is what happened to Firefox. Yeah, this is, um, we've talked about certificates before and and kind of generally how certificates work. But um, this is, you know, most commonly seen when it comes to websites, where you might visit a, a website that uses HTTPS. Uh, honestly, most websites actually do now use HTTPS. And so that secure connection, that S meaning secure, that only happens because of certificates. And certificates do expire. And if you don't catch it before it expires, then you could be presented, in the case of a web browser, you could be presented with a, uh, a message saying, you know, this may not really be the site that you're trying to go to. There's a problem with the certificate, something to that effect. And oftentimes it will put up sort of an interstitial page that sort of blocks you or prevents you from moving forward until, you know, you opt, you know, to accept it anyway and just move on if you choose to do that. But those alerts are scary. And on Safari, you have to click a couple of buttons to go through and enter your username and password to actually get to the web page. So I think most people never go any further than those alerts. Which is uh, kind of the intention, um, because if you just, you know, are really cavalier about it and just decide, oh, well, to heck with these alerts, I see them all the time, I'm just going to move on, then you could end up, you know, getting scammed or worse in, in other cases. So while sometimes... Right, the point of these alerts is to let you know if something is amiss, if the, the website security isn't validated because someone could be pretending to be that website. But as we've seen, sometimes securities just expire and people forget to renew them. They didn't put them in their calendar or in their reminders list. And, uh, you know, I always find this surprising because uh, I have a HTTPS certificate for my own website and it's not 
possible for me to set this to auto renew. I have to manually renew it every year, and I don't understand why. Is this a feature of these certificates? Yeah, in fact, um, one of the ways that ostensibly a, a way to make sure that you are still in control of that website is to make sure that the person who owns that certificate has to re-register every so often. So they have to prove that they still exist, that you know whoever it is that runs that webpage still exists, is still actively operating that webpage. There are some other reasons, too, why certificates expire. But um, yeah, it's, it's just sort of the, the practice of the industry to make sure that every few years, uh, and then sometimes more often than that, a certificate will expire. In my case, it's every year, but I, I only bought a one-year um, subscription to my certificates initially. Maybe I could have bought two or three to save myself the trouble. And if you use something like Let's Encrypt, which is a you know a service where you can get a certificate for free, um, then the renewal period is much quicker than that. I think it's something like maybe every three months. So it's uh, depending on the service you use. Yeah, you may even have to renew it even more often than a year. Okay, so we've seen major companies have these problems. Apple had some problems like this a while back. Um, this is the second time this has happened to Firefox. The first time happened three years ago. They're calling this. Armageddon. Get it? Armageddon? Armageddon. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a stretch. Kind of difficult to say out loud, but... <laughs> I think add-on gate would sound better, but anyway. Yeah, everything else is a gate these days. The, the problem with this is that users come up with this, and they may depend on their add-ons for doing certain things, for accomplishing certain tasks, and it's really hard to find out what's going on. So if this does happen, just search on Google. Uh, you know, Firefox add-ons not working. And you'll immediately have a news story from Hacker News or Reddit, or you'll have some tweets about it, and you'll find out about it. Um, they fix this relatively quickly, I think within 24 hours, uh, but I can't understand for some people this could have been a problem. Yeah, it was very quick, actually. Um, I think it was within a few hours. And w- the, the most interesting tweet that I saw about this was from somebody who works at Mozilla, the company that makes Firefox, who said something like, lesson learned, make sure that your certificates never are set to expire on a weekend or a holiday. You know, they're always like earlier in the week, you know, maybe no later than Thursday or something like that, just to make sure that this never happens again. I'm thinking just have a reminder a week before. It's not that hard to schedule those things. In my case, uh, my hosting company sent me emails like a month before I needed to renew them, which gave me plenty of time. Even if I missed the first email, um, they sent another one a week later and because I was in no hurry. But yeah, don't wait on these things, especially something like a browser that millions of people are using and you're going to break their user experience. Of course, Mozilla is free, so I guess you get what you pay for. Okay, some interesting news in Yahoo Finance. Rob Pegararo, who I've known for a long time, used to write for the Washington Post. He has an article about the feature that Apple needs to change in AirDrop. So if you're not familiar with AirDrop, it's a very easy way to share files uh, this could be photos, this could be web pages or notes or anything from one Apple device to another. Now, I believe they introduced AirDrop about five years ago along with handoff and continuity. And at the time, you needed hardware that had a certain particular form of Bluetooth. It might have been Bluetooth 4.1 LE, if I'm not mistaken. I'll, if, if I'm incorrect, I'll put a note in the show notes. Um, and I remember at the time, none of these features worked very well. But now, all Apple hardware in the past few years has worked Um, with all these features. AirDrop is an interesting feature. You don't have to be on the same Wi-Fi network as someone. You have to be within Bluetooth range, so it's within about 30 feet or 10 meters. 
and the devices use Bluetooth to make a connection, and then they create a, an ad hoc point-to-point Wi-Fi network. So they're sending the files, and these can be very big files. They're sending them over Wi-Fi, which is much faster than Bluetooth, and it's relatively painless. No one needs to log into a network to do it. The problem is that by default, um, people set this to allow anyone to send them files. Anyone. And Josh, you were saying before the show, sometimes you're on the BART or a bus or something, and you're looking at your iPhone, and you see maybe a dozen people available in the airdrop dialogue. Yeah, I've, I've mentioned this before on the show, that um, it's it's shocking to me when I, whenever I... Uh, I pull up that whenever I pull up that dialogue box when I'm in public to see all the people that I can just share things with that I'm that are certainly not in my contacts. I don't know any of these people, but they're allowing anyone to just send something to them through airdrop. I think that's crazy. Yeah. And, and there were some um, stories early on in the New York City subway where people were sending pornographic photos to random people on the subway. And of course, you don't necessarily know who's sending it to you unless their user account avatar is their photo and you can spot them but my user account avatar is a grateful dead logo and no one would know me if i'm sitting on a train unless i'm wearing grateful dead t-shirt i got to be careful about that we have an article uh, on the Intego Max security blog about how to use airdrop and i'll link to it and so the point of this article on yahoo is that you can set uh, airdrop to receive data from anyone or from contacts only, so people who are in your contacts, or to turn it off entirely. Now, I don't know, you're in a meeting with a whole lot of people uh, at work, and some of them are going to be sending files. You might want to send it to everyone at that point. Maybe not everyone's not in your contacts. But what this article suggests is that this should expire after, let's say, five minutes, that this should be a temporary setting. Um, you shouldn't be able to leave it open to everyone. Now, personally, I leave it at contacts only because my partner and I use this all the time, but it should be something that the the default should be to protect users. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I I certainly have the same opinion. There's it's pretty rare that I'll need to receive something through AirDrop from somebody who's not already in my contacts, and it ha- it does happen from time to time. And so it's it's good to be able to have the option to enable everyone, but. You don't necessarily, in fact, almost 99% of the time, you probably don't want that and everyone to remain on all the time. If there's somebody that you're always sharing things with over airdrop and they're not in your contacts, add them to your contacts, right? I mean, it's, it doesn't seem like that should be very hard to do. So, um, so I like the idea as suggested in this article to, to set a time limit on that and have, Whenever you change it to everyone, just have that auto revert to contacts only or whatever it was previously set to or off if if it was previously set to that. I think contacts only is probably the safest because you may want to get things from contacts regularly. If that's your choice, if you had it off, then maybe you should go back to off. But I think contacts only is probably the most comfortable for most people. Do do you use AirDrop a lot? I do. Yeah, it's a really great feature. You know, I remember the days when you used to beam things from one device to the other through infrared, you know, when you, when you had a Palm Pilot or those kind of... A Palm Pilot, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, oh man, it would take like a minute for some 100K file, 
you know, or app to transfer from one device to another. And uh, it was not fun (laughs) to try to transfer things wirelessly back then. And it's amazing how quickly you can transfer things uh, through AirDrop from one device to another. Um, You mentioned that you don't even have to be on the same Wi-Fi network. There was one time when uh, I was camping and uh, you know, I needed to to share some photos that I had taken with somebody else, and it, we just opened up AirDrop. We, we were in the middle of nowhere, but we were able to to send a whole batch of files in just a minute. It was amazing. Yeah, my my partner and I use it often for photos, for notes, for web pages. Um, one thing most people don't know is that if you want to share a login with your significant other, for example, um, if you go into settings um, on an iPhone, if you go into settings, accounts and passwords, you find the login information. There's a there's a way to tap it, to airdrop it. And what you're doing is you're sending the login URL and the password, but the person's not seeing the password. Um, so this is a good way to send your friend your Netflix password, for example. The, it'll be stored in their device, but they won't actually see what the password is. Uh, I, I find it great. And this is one of those technologies, as I said, in the early years, it didn't work well. And I think there may be an article on the Intego Mac security blog from back then. And if there is, I'll link in the show notes. But it's gotten so good now that it's one of the easiest way to transfer files. Uh, when I'm working on two computers, so often when I'm writing, I'll work on my laptop because I'll have an environment set up for screenshots, um, I always airdrop files back to my iMac rather than mount a network, share, and copy. It's so much easier. Yeah, and it's also easier than USB you know, flash drives. <laughs> and sneaker net and yeah. all those other ways of, yeah. Okay. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Facebook. And we're not going to talk necessarily about Facebook's data breaches because we've done that lots of times this year. We're going to talk about how we use Facebook and what the future of Facebook might hold. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac, or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 50%. That's PODCAST19 to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. So, Facebook, and we kind of joked last week that we didn't have anything bad to say about Facebook for the first time in a while because there have been all these data breaches and privacy issues. And, well, we're going to talk about that a little bit because we actually do have one of those things to say. But we wanted to talk about how we use Facebook and how Facebook has changed a lot and how there are actually some suggestions uh, that are getting a lot of traction about breaking up Facebook. Well, let's start with the bad news. Facebook has been displaying sponsored posts that sell access to hacked PayPal accounts. 
How is this even possible? Well, <laughs> the, I, I guess the thing is that you need to have some sort of process for when you want, uh, let's say you want to advertise something on Facebook. Um, it's pretty easy, honestly, for anybody to advertise a post. Um, I, I don't think you even have to be anybody special or prove you're a business or anything like that. You can choose to pay Facebook to sponsor any post. And so, of course, that makes it pretty easy for anybody to create a Facebook account. That's free. It doesn't require a lot of effort. And then to um, put up a scam post and see if you can slip it past Facebook's filtering process. Um, presumably, they have some sort of filtering process <laughs> that prevents you from being able to share scams and things like that. Well, just recently, um, Facebook was apparently allowing sponsored posts selling access to hacked PayPal accounts, of all things. PayPal accounts with balance, it says. Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of interesting. Um, I'm not really sure how that slipped past all the filters, whether automated or human filters. But uh, apparently this has been a problem recently. Yeah, I, I find this kind of interesting that an ad that mentions PayPal doesn't get human filtered. Um, now just to just to correct about the ads, not anyone can place an ad. You can only place an ad if you have a, a Facebook page. I used to have a Facebook page, um, and I would post articles from my website onto it directly. But being that I don't really care for Facebook anymore, I took that down. I have a personal Facebook account. Um, and from my Facebook page, I would always get notifications, boost this post for, you know, only 10 pounds. And, and I actually tried it once and I got like two clicks for 14 pounds. So it wasn't worth it. But on my regular personal Facebook account, I don't see this. So you do need a Facebook page, but that they would allow an ad with the words PayPal in it or, or with the words Chase Bank, imagine, or Citibank or the name of a phone company or any business that is not the business that is placing the ad. And that is what I find really surprising. Yeah, because then it opens them up to a lot of suspicious things. And by the way, to create a Facebook page, um, again, also, that doesn't really require a lot of effort. So You don't have to prove you're a business or anything. Right. Yeah, anyone can create a page. It's interesting that um, at, at, right around the same time that this story came out, Somebody reached out to me on Twitter recently and sent me a direct message and said, hey, Facebook told me illegal activity is fine. And I'm like, really? What do you, what do you mean? And so he sent me a screenshot where he, he reported a Facebook group. It's obvious from the name of the group that they're giving away license keys for, for software illegally. And, uh, and so that's the whole purpose of the group is, is to just give away license keys illegally for some piece of software. So you don't have to pay for it and you can just register it and make it stop annoying you about paying. We won't mention the name of it. So people don't go looking on Facebook to get the free license key for this antivirus software, but it is not Intego software. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, so, so he reported it and said, this is illegal activity and of course, they only give you a certain number of items that you can select from when you're reporting. And so he had to, to report it as uh, the, the sale of drugs, guns, or regulated products. Um, and that was the closest thing that he could find to the you know, type of problem this was. Um, but so he picked that from the list and reported it to them. And so it should have come up on somebody's radar. There, sh there should have theoretically been a human reviewer who looked at this and said, oh, yeah, um, this isn't good. But um, instead, what happened was 
Uh, Facebook sent an automated reply to him saying, we reviewed the group you reported and found it doesn't violate our community standards. So um, Facebook does tend to, you know, have somewhat of a problem of figuring out some of these things, whether it's through automated means. I don't know. It's unclear whether this it's certainly automated. Yeah, I can't imagine that a human would look at it. But I think what probably happened is the, the automation couldn't pick up the name of the group as being something necessarily illegal. It wasn't, you know, get your illegal software key here. Um, it was the name <laughs> of the software and the word key afterwards. Um, right. So maybe the automation couldn't trap it. Yeah, and it, and, and it wasn't drugs, guns, or regulated products. Right. Right, which was the category that it was reported under. So, but nevertheless, I mean, how are you? How are you supposed to report these things? It's not. There's no easy way to do it. Uh, you know, besides using there, there's no text field where you can enter more information. You can only click one of about a dozen possibilities, like spam, scam, pornography, etc. So it is extremely limited. And Facebook doesn't want to do this work. And as much as they need to, they don't want to. So this is kind of what led us to want to talk about the way we use Facebook these days. I think we both joined Facebook, what was it, 2004, when it became open to the public. And and I used Facebook for a while. And and as someone who doesn't live in the country where he was born, it was kind of interesting to get back in touch with some of the people I haven't seen in a long time. But over the years, it just got to the point where people were posting all these apps and quizzes in their timelines and if you remember last week, we talked about the fact that Facebook is getting rid of those um, and then political things and, you know, fake news and conspiracy theories. And I just started unfollowing people and unfollowing. And last year I just had enough and I unfollowed pretty much everyone. I've remained friends with everyone. So if you're listening to me out there and you're a friend of mine, um, I'm still a friend of yours. It's just it, not necessarily your fault. Just everyone was posting too much stuff. However, I keep using Facebook for groups. And I've mentioned this a lot of times. I'm in a photography group for a photography course that I'm taking online, and all the members of the course are in a photography group. And people post photos and comment on them, and it's a really good way to do it. Without the overhead of signing into a forum, having another username and password, learning to use a different forum, because forums all work a little bit differently. Um, I'm learning an obscure musical instrument, and there aren't many ways to communicate with people who play that instrument. Didgeridoo? No, it's not a zither or a theremin, but it is a shakuhachi, which is a Japanese flute. It's a relatively obscure instrument. And there are a few hundred people um, in a Facebook group, and it's great to be able to communicate with people like that. Um, but otherwise, Facebook has just become... It's like that CD bar around the corner from the train station where you don't want to go in anymore. Yeah, and I don't want to bash on Facebook too much. I think there are some very good uses like the one you just described. Um, as you said, too, is it's it's great for getting in touch with people that you, you, know, you used to know. And it's, it's sort of because it's so ubiquitous. It's, it's this platform that so many people who are not, you know, tech nerds, um, are on, you know, so uh, a lot of your relatives are going to be on Facebook, right? And, and uh, Google Plus, for me at least, had never really gotten anywhere near as much adoption as Facebook, even though Google Plus, you know, t- I know tons of people who have Google accounts. I even had some relatives who had Gmail addresses, and but trying to get them to start using a different social network, it was just Google Plus was too different, too weird. Um, and so Facebook... Um, it just seems to resonate with people who are not so tech savvy. Um, but that also means that it's, it's a great platform for people who want to scam other people too. <laughs> so that's one of the downsides. Yeah, exactly. Because 
Because the people who see things on Facebook don't necessarily consider that things may not be true, that they may be dishonest. It's the network effect. I don't know who said it back in the day, but when you have two fax machines, it's not very useful. When you have a million, and all of a sudden a million people can send faxes to a million other people, the fax machine became ubiquitous. And and Google Plus was like the... Well, if you have a Google account, you automatically have Google Plus and try and remember to sign in and put your friends in these circles and you'll figure out how the circles overlap. And I could never figure that out. Um, but, but Facebook is the easy way to do things. As I mentioned earlier, if you set up a forum, people have to learn how to quote post and reply and, and how to use, you know, special, um, little codes to make emojis. Whereas with Facebook, all that's easy. You can click the like button. And now, of course, the like button isn't just the thumbs up. It's also the smiley face or the face with the tear if someone says their pet died or something. But I think the problem is, and I think you hit the nail right on the head, it's easy to use. So, so many people use it and they kind of forget that it's essentially a tool to collect data on us and to deliver ads to us and that there are lots of malicious people putting those ads on Facebook and putting fake news on Facebook. Right. Well, I mean, if you think about it, how how can Facebook as a platform exist unless they're making money somehow? If if you've got a network that's got you know uh, even a hundred thousand people on it, let alone uh, the however many people Facebook is up to now, two billion, I think. Yeah, billions of yeah. people. Um, I mean, you you need to have human beings at some point in this process really uh, managing all this mess. Uh, even though it may be a mess, you still need people kind of at, at certain points in the process. And so you've got um, a big company. They've got to employ those people somehow. they got to make money. And, well, I mean, they do that mostly through advertising um, and and selling the data that they've collected about the people who use the service. Yeah, as the old adage says, if you're not paying for something, then you are the product. So they're manipulating you. They're using your data to sell it to others, to have other people sell things to you. It's kind of a, a strange, vicious circle. There's an article in the New York Times today by Chris Hughes, who was one of the founders of Facebook. Very interesting to see a photo of him and Mark Zuckerberg in 2004 at Harvard, um, looking all very young and innocent. Uh, Chris Hughes is saying it's time to break up Facebook, and he's specifically pointing out the fact that if you look at the platforms owned by Facebook and the platforms owned by others and the number of users, so... They say that Facebook has 2.3 billion monthly active users. That's the number of people who use Facebook at least once a month. WhatsApp has 1.6 billion. Messenger has 1.3 billion. And Instagram has a billion. Now, I tend to forget about Messenger because I just think of it as part of Facebook. Because on my iOS devices, I don't use the Facebook app because it's a battery drain. Um, I use Facebook uh, in a web browser. And so if I get messages, I get them in my web browser. But that's four different platforms, and they, this is compared with other platforms. YouTube, 1.9 billion monthly active users. WeChat, 1.1. Uh, TikTok, if you haven't heard of that, it's the new video craze, 500 million. LinkedIn, a mere 300 million. Twitter, 330 million. Reddit, the same. Snapchat, 287. So they're all much smaller, and the advantage that Facebook has is that they're collating your data across the platform. So I use Instagram. I'm interested in photography. I follow photographers on Instagram, other people like me. Facebook will tell me now in my notifications that someone I follow on Instagram has a Facebook page. Do I want to follow them? And on Instagram, they'll tell me the same thing. Follow these people who you know on Facebook. Um, so there is this 
sort of cross-pollination of the platforms, which gives them a huge monopoly power. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, at the same time, obviously, there's a huge convenience factor there, too, because, you know, if they're all in some way part of the same network, um, then it makes it a lot easier to find people. And you don't have to do that whole dance of, uh, I think we've mentioned recently the whole, uh, a lot of times apps will ask you to import your contact list. I hate it when they do that because I don't really want to share all of my contact information with you because I know it's not really a one-time thing. You're going to store that forever. But it's making it easier for you. Oh, yeah. It's saving you time. Yeah. That's what they want you to think, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, so Snapchat is one of those. I, I've, and I, I don't know. Maybe I'm too old and I don't understand Snapchat and how that's supposed to work. But um, that's one of those services where, you know, I have a handful of friends who use it and not not extensively. And, you know, and whenever I happen to open the app, they're always prompting me, oh, you should import your contacts so we can find out all your other friends who are on Snapchat. And I'm just like, yeah, except the problem with that is I'm giving you (laughs) all the information. I'm giving you their phone numbers, their email addresses. You're just going to scoop up all that information and keep it on your servers indefinitely. And I don't like that. Um, it's, it's sort of, um, interesting to think about it from the perspective of all of those friends. Would they want you to be sharing their private contact information with some service? Right. And they, they have no choice what you do, but you have no choice when your friends share your contact information. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things that I think people really should think carefully about because, Maybe some people don't want their information shared with companies like that. So another thing is when I sign into Instagram, um, I'm often presented with a little dialogue asking me to give them my phone number. Oh, we'll only use it in case you need to log in, you have a problem. But as we mentioned a, a month or two ago, Facebook had initially said that they would never use that for anything else, but now they've started to sell the phone numbers to advertisers. Yeah, and they got caught doing that. Um, it's it's not something they were supposed to have done, but they did it, and now they have to just say, oh, sorry. <laughs> and, I mean, it's, it's too late. The damage is already done, right? Yeah. Um, the, the problem is that this company has reached a scale that makes it very hard to break up, and they're obviously trying to... In in the article in the New York Times, Chris Hughes points out that what Mark Zuckerberg wants is dominance. And he owns 60% of the shares of stock, and he has final say in everything that happens. That's a little bit worrisome that a single person can overrule the board of directors because he has the majority share. Um, and all of the, the, the faux pas that we've seen with Facebook, whether they be data breaches or all the political issues around Cambridge Analytica, um, these are all things that are down to him as responsibility. Now, far be it from us to recommend to people not to use Facebook. I mean, if people want to use it, that's fine. But I think people need to be aware of what's going on because this data that they're collecting, you know, when you look at what some people post, photos of their kids, here's where I was on Saturday doing this with such and such a person. Oh, here's me at a frat party getting drunk. I mean, think about your future when some of that data comes up again, when someone else can find it. Or, I don't know, I'm thinking a future employer pays a company to search for you because Facebook will be selling that data. They want to find out about you and they find, you know, pictures of you in college. Or a health insurance company 
Um, you've applied for health insurance, and that company gets access to your data talking about, I don't know, you had a certain health problem. So personally, I'm out of Facebook except for groups. Uh, I just think that the business model has become too creepy. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still there. But every time that I use Facebook, I ask myself, why am I still here? <laughs> and I, th- I think, um, of course, we're people who talk about security and privacy all the time. And I, I wonder if the average person is really thinking about Facebook and other social networks the same way that, that, that we are. Maybe, maybe they're starting to. I hope that people are starting to think of things that way. It's in the news enough that people are starting to think about it. Um, but also remember that people use Facebook Messenger to send messages, and they don't even think of that as Facebook. People use Instagram because of photos, and they don't think of it as being Facebook. And, and WhatsApp is different. Um, so I think one of the things that, that people need to learn is that this is a big aggregate a monolith, and that they are collating all the data from one to another. Again, it, it's up to you, but do be aware of what Facebook is doing. Anyway, with that in mind, we'll be back next week with more bad news. <laughs> stay secure. All right, Kirk, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.